Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com or reach out to me personally. Well, we have an interesting show for you today. And, uh, you know, one of the things that really impacts commercial real estate, whether you're a user or investor or a lender, who you are, is, is the availability of financing and the uh, underwriting and the interest rates and kind of the, the, the stability of the financing market and the banks and, and all the lenders out there. Um, and uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Please welcome my guest. It's Chris Marinak. And for those of you who have, uh, they're big show fans. You've heard Chris uh, over the years, uh, many years ago uh, on our show uh, after the last, uh, well, let's not call this a recession, right after the Great Recession. Uh, and he's a director of research. He oversees bank research, uh, bank analyst uh, with Janie Montgomery Scott. Chris, good to see you and thanks for joining us again. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be here. Well, Chris, first of all, um, you know, we need banks financially stable so they can do loans for our tenants and for our properties, investors. How are banks doing financially at this point? Banks are doing really well. Ironically, 2020 was a very hard year, very bizarre year because there was so much uncertainty. But at the end of the day, the banks made a lot of money last year. They accomplished a great deal. And they really have better footing today than they did a year ago. And it's hard to imagine that that would have been the case given how coronavirus and the pandemic started in late February, early March of 2020. But the companies today have more capital, they have better earnings, and they sure as heck have better liquidity because of all the deposits and cash that have been flooded in the system and stimulus that continues to play out. And do these banks have... Um... Any distressed loans right now or some other commercial real estate loans or are consumer uh, business, small business loans in trouble? They have a handful. Um, over the last several years, the banks have gone from, you know, just recognizing uh, non-performing assets or, or um, other real estate, the Oreo category, to now risk grading their loans. And so banks have had an increase of risk grades. Um, as it pertains to special mention rated loans and substandard rated loans, which typically are, are loans that are still uh, accruing and paying interest, but they do have a higher risk element. So a hotel is a classic example. That hotel, the cash flow has been diminished. It is under fire because of COVID and the shutdown and now the reopening. Um, in some cases, it's slow. Some other cases, it's not. Um, if you think of a convention hotel, that probably will be the last hotel to come back to full occupancy. So that deal most likely has to get restructured. But in a lot of cases, there's forbearance on those loans. Um, the bank has, has set aside reserves against them and in some cases already taken a charge off on them. But it's been relatively modest and it really hasn't been an issue from the bank's overall capital and earnings. So there are some problems. But banks generally have a very good handle on what they have. And you've seen a handful of examples of companies who have sold hotel properties just because they can. There is excellent demand for hotels because a lot of your uh, non-bank um, buyers, your uh, debt funds, your foreign buyers, some individuals, they all perceive that the hotels are on sale at 20, 25% discounts, so they're chasing properties. And you're now starting to see transactions happen in hotels pretty on a pretty robust pace. 
and I would argue that the discount on those um, loans is no no worse than 25%. It's probably more like 20 or high teens loss. And most banks typically for a hotel have 30 to 35% equity in those deals. So the bank is not going to lose much money. And in fact, they'll probably make a little bit of money because they've already set aside reserves and they'll probably even after transaction costs come out ahead. So hotels are probably the best example. I do think when you move to other types of real estate, it just depends. There are a few retail properties that are problematic. There are going to be some dislocations on office, which is still playing out as their um, restart gets stronger uh, later in 21. I do think that um, there are cases where um, there are you know, owner-occupied properties where the owner um, no longer can occupy them. And unfortunately, the owner may have died or they may just their business may be struggling. I think those are going to be small percentages and it's going to be a very manageable situation. But I, I would be you know, foolish to say that it's zero because that's not the case. There are some issues out there. I think mostly banks have recognized those in their risk ratings. Now it's a question of kind of how those get worked out. Um, I see the liquid market being a way for the banks to jettison those assets. They may just sell them at a discount. We had a couple of banks in New Jersey sell things at 25 to 28% discounts last fall. It was just easier for them to take a loss and move on. And the equity investors kind of like when that is done because it just removes the uncertainty. So, yeah. Yeah. We sold a bank loan um, on a hotel last week uh, for a bank. Um, so of the different types of loans that are, uh, related to commercial real estate that these banks hold. And you can give me the more specific ways they look at them, but I think of them in terms of small business loans and then um, CRE or commercial real estate loans and then uh, um, development and, and new construction loans. You know, what what areas, what pockets of, of financing are giving them the most uh, trouble? Well, sounds like they're not ha having a lot of trouble, but but where are they, where are they watching closely? So CNI, I think, is your biggest issue. So hotels I covered, I think CNI is your issue. And, and just as a reminder, CNI typically is backed with cash flow as collateral and not with real estate. And that's the difference. So if you have a small business, say they are a merchant and that merchant is struggling for any number of reasons, um, he or she uh, may have a bank loan that's tied to their, to their cash flow to maybe some inventory, but not something that's tied back to the building. Those are probably where the biggest losses will be. And even though I would argue that bank losses this year in terms of net charge-offs will probably be no worse than 50 basis points, which is way less than what happened back in 2008, 9, and 10. But even at 50 basis points, the chunk of that's going to come from CNI and really less from other areas. Um, there seems to be a pretty big um, stimulus boost to consumer finance. So credit cards and home equity and home mortgages really have had de minimis issues. And sure, there still are families who are struggling, but there still is a pretty wide amount of forbearance out there on those uh, borrowers. And I don't think that's going to be anything problematic for the system. It's going to be more noise. But back to the commercial side, I think the CNI loans are the, are the, are the problem. Then you go back to um, hotels and you go back to office. And remember that some of the regulated banks don't traffic as much in office buildings as a debt fund would, as an insurance related company would. And so those non-regulated players tend to be more concentrated in some of those asset classes. Banks tend to play a lot more in multifamily. They will occasionally do hotels, which you know has been documented. Um, they certainly do 
uh, a little bit of land and construction, but not really as much as they have before. And then the final point, which you know, Michael, is that the home building industry on the residential side has been terrific. And that's probably been the, the biggest factor of why banks have come out of this in very good shape. The home building industry was decimated in 2007, 8, and 9, as we all lived through. And it's now come back today with a whole different supply and demand metric. And the home building business is really doing quite well and seems to have um, a, a huge amount of demand, not enough supply. And for a lot of banks, that's a very good thing from a credit perspective. Yeah, and uh, that, it's interesting when people look at uh, downturns and uh, potential uh, defaults with lenders with banks. That you know, most people obviously are, are positive and don't like to see that. But you know, you some have some of these opportunistic uh, buyers that kind of like to to buy notes and properties in these downturns, and and they did a lot of that uh, in the last recession. But um, this this time, the banks and the situations a lot different, right? Absolutely, it's a massive difference, and. I think that the loan to value on most bank loans, particularly in commercial real estate, tends to have three times the equity that it did 12 years ago. So you have deals that had maybe 10% equity, then today you have 20, but a lot of cases 30% equity. And that really has bought a lot of flexibility for banks um, through this uh, downturn. And again, at the end of the day, they really haven't had many charge-offs. And I think even though there'll, there'll be some charge-offs, it'll still be very small compared to history. Yeah. And the regulators have really given the banks a, a break in 2020, right? They have. And the, the difference in this cycle is that the regulators have admitted that the banks entered into the coronavirus uh, pandemic at no fault of their own. It wasn't like the banks made mistakes. The, they, the banks were not heavily concentrated. They weren't doing uh, you know, goofy structures like they were in 2006 and seven that led to the great financial crisis. So there's just a, a whole different um, uh, sort of interpretation of the problem. And therefore, banks were also really judged to be part of the solution and not the problem. And if you think about how stimulus has been administered, it's come through the banks, particularly the PPP. And the PPP has had all kinds of issues. And we could talk you know, uh, uh, ad nauseum about the delivery uh, snafus that PPP has had through the SBA, but still big picture, the banks have implemented the PPP. They've uh, been able to get the stimulus out to individuals and the individual businesses rather, and it's been a net positive. Um, you know, nothing's perfect with the government, of course, but I do think that it's been a net positive to get those dollars out there and therefore limit the, the true uh, losses in the uh, financial industry. And it limited some losses for banks, but how was it um, uh, financially for the banks just to be able to take the time to do those loans? They were paid to do the loans, right? How did that impact them? Sure. No, great question. So um, most banks were receiving a 3% fee for the PPP loans. Um, which is decent, particularly because those loans are most likely going to last a year to year and a half. So when you kind of take a 3% fee for that, that uh, short period of time, it's decent. It's not a home run, but it's a, it's a good single in baseball terms. Um, as we now have a second round of PPP happening, um, the fees on those uh, deals are about four to four and a half. They tend to be um, bigger because they're smaller deals. So now this next go round is um, of the PPP is less than two hundred fifty thousand dollars in most instances. So there's a little bit more of a fee paid just for the administration uh, efforts for those small ticket loans. Um, and you know the PPP has its its challenges in terms of how fast SBA acts. 
But at the end of the day, it was a it was a better way to fly to use the banking system to distribute the dollars than have the government do it themselves. Chris, are the regulators they kick let the kind of banks kind of well some people might say kick the can down the road or uh, as you would say uh, credit risk postponed. Um, what uh, what do you expect moving forward? Are we going to have some banks doing a little bit more of note selling and have a little bit of more of REO or or is there expectation that the that 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 you know that the growth and the rebound is going to be such that there won't be as much of that? I think there will be more sales, and I think it's because everyone's um, uh, time horizon's been compressed. You know, uh, bankers watch CNBC just like other investors do. Bankers are aware of what's going on in the community, even though they may not lend on Bitcoin. They're very aware it's out there. So speculation in other industries kind of changes their time frame. So I think if, if a bank has an issue, they would just as soon get rid of it and go focus on making a new healthy loan than spending a lot of time and distraction on an old loan. And that's partly because the loan liquidity is massive today. It was hard to sell a loan in 2009 and 10. You, you uh, took a big discount and it was a lot of effort. And today it's a much easier process. And there's also just big liquidity. And this comes in the form of pension funds. It comes in the form of, of individual debt buyers, folks like yourself who can represent and close very quickly. So I think it's actually a, a much more uh, of a, if you will, a warmer pool and uh, folks are going to step in and do more of it. It's just easier. Um, you know, we can see some local banks here in Atlanta who have already done sales and they've just found it to be a breath of fresh air. At the end of the day, they want to focus on getting new customers and, and, and taking on new uh, depositors and new deals with them. And, you know, getting rid of a, uh, of a, of a past uh, problem just, you know, accelerates that whole uh, time frame. How much REO, uh, how much foreclosed uh, properties do you think that banks might have around the country related to uh, commercial properties? So if you look at overall REO last year, it grew very modestly. Um, so it's still a tiny part of bank balance sheets. Um, I would say it's, you know, 30, 40 basis points of bank balance sheets. And that compares when it was 2 or 3% of bank balance sheets back in 2009 and 10. Um, you know, that statistic's going to vary from company to company, but as a general rule, I think I'm in the ballpark with, with that when you look at things at a high level. It was, it was pretty rough in 2009 and 10. There was a lot of issues, and even though, you know, 2 or 3% doesn't sound a lot, you know, it's still 10 times higher than what I think is in existence today. Um, the Oreo just isn't that much, and in fact, a lot of the deals that I think banks are going to sell are, are existing um, properties that are still kind of um, – accruing interest, but they're higher risk. So they're kind of marked as a substandard or marked as a special mention in the risk scale. And a bank is just going to jettison them because it's just easier for them to take the, the cash, even if it's 80% of what they have on the books, just take a loss and move on. Um, they have enough capital and certainly enough earnings to stomach that. And I think in a lot of cases, they can actually redeploy money and make it back pretty quickly. And, argu and arguably, um, a lot of times you're only taking a discount on a small amount of assets. So it might be, you know, uh, 50 basis points of the bank's assets that they're taking a discount on. And when you kind of run that through their profits for the year, they can earn that back pretty quickly. 
that's the point that I keep coming back to is the bank really doesn't, I mean, they, they take a loss in a given month and quarter, but they earn it back pretty quickly. And in most banks' minds, if they can have a payback in a year, they're good to go because they, they, they take a problem off of their shoulders and they can therefore go back to their normal business of trying to chase loans and deposits. And to put this in a perspective of, you know, 30 to basis points of REO based on the bank's balance sheets, um, how does that relate to the amount of REO that banks would normally have around the country uh, during normal times, not during a recession or anything? There's always a little bit of, of foreclosure, right? Right. I, I think 20 to 30 basis points is a good figure in, in, in normal times. And, and that's that's where I, I come back. And I just think that any increase we had in the past 12, 15 months has really been modest. Um, I think it is technically a little higher, but it's not a lot. And in some banks, it's not at all. You know, if, if we look at individual companies, you could see a handful that have a slight uptick and then others that actually are flat to down. So for the whole industry, it's been a, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to notice that it's there. So it's not, we're, we're not talking big numbers here. We're kind of probably um, still scraping the barrel compared to what we, you know, went through, uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. And we're talking yeah. with uh, Chris Marinek and he analyzes uh, banks been doing a long time. He's with Janie Montgomery Scott's and, and, what do you think banks are doing as far as looking at new loans uh, related to different property types and, and underwriting? Are they, uh, where do you, what do you see there? What I see right now is that banks are probably more uh, warmer to mixed use. And I think the developers understand that. So they're doing a deal where there's a little bit of multifamily, a little bit of for sale, uh, a little bit of retail, uh, and then some office, but it's if it's all done in a good location, like the Beltline of Atlanta or something similar in other cities, it resonates with the lenders and the amount of speculative space that's in there doesn't deter the bank. I think if you want to do pure office or something pure on, on, on just retail, it becomes harder. You really have to make a destination or you have to have something that just has a massive amount of equity in it that the bank is, is taking a very low LTV. Sometimes that happens. But I think generally the mixed use is kind of where things are flying. Multifamily, even though it's been a lot of it out there, is still it seems relatively safe. And I think anything in the home building industry uh, is, is being well received, particularly if it's already vertical. I think land is still a no-no, and that's really because of the regulators. Um, land is probably some of the best deals you can do right now, but unfortunately, the FDSC and OCC are, are not fans of the overall uh, concentration of land. So most banks are going to limit construction, including land, to about 80% of their capital versus if you go back to 2006, pre-great um, financial crisis, banks were doing two and three, 100% of capital in construction. So it's just a different world. But I think, again, what you have is that non-regulated banks might do the land loans and then eventually the vertical construction and then the permanent loans come through to the banking system. And then at some point you have long-term uh, insurance companies who will take that longer-term deal. Um, you know, banks will compete for a five-year uh, CRE deal, but a lot of times they don't win because the insurance uh, company, the pension fund, uh, just has a much different risk appetite and will ultimately do a lower yield and a higher valuation uh, for the borrower. Yeah. Well, it makes sense for them to be very specific to the property itself. Um, 
for example, in the office world, uh, we're we're selling a lot of small uh, properties, you know, that are fifteen to to three million dollars that are one and two story separate entrances, smaller tenants and offices. And it was interesting to me walking through those and inspecting them. Um, and they were Atlanta suburbs and, and, and South Florida suburbs. And these buildings were very active. 85% of the tenants were in there, 97% occupancy, very vibrant. But then I come back to my own building where my office is, and I'm on the top floor in the elevator. And our building is probably 95% vacant. If not vacant, tenants are paying rent, right? But companies, these larger tenants, just aren't in the spaces. So you really do have to, have to look at these uh, properties specifically, don't you? Exactly. Yeah. Well, Chris, what would you leave our audience with related to thinking about banks and the bank health and uh, uh, their underwriting and uh, what you see coming up uh, for the rest of 2021 at least? So the challenge for the industry is putting excess liquidity to work and getting a reasonable yield. And of course, banks you know, are in the business of trying to collect the dollars back. They want to get their money back. So I think that in a lot of cases, the banks have to trade off a lower risk uh, loan for a lower yield. And that pressure on margin is very much alive and it's very much here. I think we've already seen the worst of it. I'm not sure the margins are gonna get a lot better for the banks, but I do think they'll put more money to work. Right now, there's just a sheer um, excess of liquidity the banks have to do. So I think that, that putting money out however they can. Um, I had a conversation this week with one banker who made a, a very funny, but I think very true statement where he said that amortization um, is no longer his friend, it's actually his enemy because they're getting payback of loans pretty often and pretty frequently. So if they can do an interest only loan with no amortization, that's actually a good thing for that bank because they didn't want to get paid back that quickly. They do want paid back, but they don't want it to be paid back that quickly. The other thought that I would tell you, and we've seen this now for over a year with SunTrust and, and BB&T combining to Truist, you will see more mergers. The industry is going to continue to consolidate. We're going to see more bank branches for sale. Um, I think there's, uh, there's a great opportunity for some very creative real estate uh, minds to utilize bank branches. Sometimes you can get lucky and Chick-fil-A will take it off your hands. Other times you have to rethink that property and hopefully something that's not a tattoo parlor, but um, you know, something that I think you can you know, repurpose. I think there's a lot of that opportunity out there. And um, that may bother people that they see that as a risk. I just think it's going to be a, a new chapter that uh, those bank branches get repurposed. Um, and therefore, you know, there's an opportunity for somebody else to, to buy those probably cheap because most banks have already um, you know, taken uh, a lot of the um, depreciation on those assets. They just want to get rid of them. So you probably can make some good buys on that, uh, that well, properties. Well, you're the perfect person then for me to ask you this question, Chris. Um, I see some banks um, that are going to seem to be rapidly opening up, opening new branches and building new branches around. So what what's the deal there? It's all about distribution. If you're JP Morgan and you want to have, uh, you know, uh, the ability to sell more mortgages and more credit cards and more car loans, you're going to use the bank branch system as a way of advertising. It seems ridiculous. But somewhere along the way, they decided that it was uh, it was a better way for them to advertise. Um, so they're going to lose money over here and to make money over there. And so it really comes back to the accounting. So it, it does seem to be goofy, but they make a lot of money on credit cards and home equity and, and mortgages and car loans. And so that's kind of what happens at these big behemoths. When you go down to the community bank level, 
a lot of community banks are rethinking their delivery so that they can have um, the ability to solve problems for customers in person. And I think we're still going to do that, but they have to do it with limited locations. So a lot of times you can see banks actually trading up and are opening a new branch and shutting something else to kind of just reposition where they are. Um, there's some of that happening. Um, the final point that I would say is I think you're going to find that um, even though we have digital solutions all throughout the banking system, people still want to do business with bankers and figure out face-to-face -face and solve problems. Um, the 1-800 number, the virtual teller, your, your, your teller bot that you go through, that experience is not always pleasant for people. They want a live person. And they, whether we have to wear a mask or not uh, in the future, I think still people want to, want to have a live person. So, you know, my mantra is that most commercial borrowers need a good attorney, a good tax advisor, and a good banker. And he or she is going to have that be the three-legged stool of their attorney, their tax accountant, and their banker. And so I think banks still have relevance uh, in the marketplace, uh, but the branch system is not dead. It just has to be kind of reconceived, repurposed. We definitely have too many branches, but I don't think it goes to zero either. Well, you, well, you know, a four-legged stool is more stable than three legs, so you could add commercial broker to that, Chris. <laughs> that would be just fine. That is not a problem. And and finally, um, you know, a lot of people are thinking there could be a, a big rebound and, and people trying to travel and book hotels and, and do things, but some people are still shut down in their basement uh, wearing a mask at home. I see people in their car alone dri driving wearing a mask. Uh, wh what are you seeing related to kind of demand, uh, GDP trends, travel, hotel bookings and things? I think it's all changing. If you looked at the TSA activity chart that comes out uh, pretty much every day, but you can track it you know, as often as you like, it's, it's a hockey stick uh, in going in the right direction in terms of the airport uh, activity nationwide. Um, I think the hotels are definitely changing at various locations quickly. Uh, the beach, the drive-to locations are, are popular and probably have a very big summer. Um, you know, uh, the, the weekend of spring breaks and, and Easter in, in April should probably be positive. It's going to continue to catch up, um, so we're not all the way back. I think conventions will take a while, but even conventions, I think, are something that um, will be changing. It seems like September and this fall is going to be a much more active conference season uh, around the country than it had been certainly uh, prior. So I think it's all going to evolve. You know, it, it doesn't guarantee that New Orleans and Bourbon Street will be booming just yet, but I think with time, it is going to come back. Um, I'm actually very optimistic that people want to get out and get back to traveling. And I think the vaccination trail is changing quickly. And I think how we perceive, you know, the population being vaccinated today in late March is going to feel a lot different in another six weeks. And so I think the acceptance uh, is going to be even stronger. So GDP looks like it's pushing 6% for the first quarter, according to the Atlanta Fed. Um, that number keeps being revised upward lately. And my sense is we're still going to be kind of 3 to 4% for the balance of the year, which in my history of covering banks for almost 30 years, that's pretty doggone good. I'm used to 2% growth. So I'll take 3, 4, let alone 6 any day of the week. Yeah, that's incredible growth. Um, but with that, uh, should we expect some inflation possibly? I think we should. I, absolutely. Um, I, there are probably a lot of other smarter people than me. I went to state school, but uh, inflation, I think, it was here. 
Um, but you know, that's a good thing if you're in the commercial real estate business. And if, uh, if property values go up as a lender, that's also a good thing. And that's another reason I think the bank safety and soundness and the health of the industry is in really good shape because the capital's good and the assets themselves really can be appreciating. Um, so I, I think it's a good backdrop, and uh, certainly I think it, it does uh, you know, really require a lot of good expertise out there from your commercial real estate professionals. Excellent. Well, we'll leave it at that. That's put the smile on my face. <laughs> Chris, thank you for the information, and thanks for being on the show again. Anytime. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. All right. And uh, thank you for joining us uh, around the country. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. I think it was very good to hear uh, the positive news uh, with the banks, it certainly is differently different uh, than the uh, Great Recession, which I'm not sure why it was called great. But uh, <laughs> anyway, things are looking good in the banking world, which is good for real estate. So thanks for uh, being with us this week. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. If you appreciate the show, think about the opportunity to do business or refer business to our sponsors. Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies. For incredible commercial agent training, visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Core.green. Use ION technology to create a safer environment for your real estate. Visit core.green. For more commercial real estate intel, forecasts, and strategies, visit CREshow.com.